Make sure you grab those things on the way out. And we love you guys so, so much. Um, And we want to pray for you guys as well. So I'm going to pray for all the ladies. Put your hand on a mama, a lady, a girl next to you, around you. Just extend your hand over them. Jesus, we thank you so much for every single woman in this room right now, Jesus. You have formed them. You have created them in your image, Jesus. And you have such a plan and a purpose for their lives. God, whoever it is that they're investing in, whether it's little children, whether it's grown children, whether it's kids at the school they teach at, whether it's their neighbors, others at work. Father, you've placed people in their lives. And um, Father, just the abilities that you've given them as women to invest in these people around them is priceless. And God, we need them. We desperately need them to continue every day fighting the good fight, not giving up, not growing weary and doing good. Um, Jesus, please bless them. Help them to know how special, how valuable, how loved they are today. And God, I just pray that you would bring just peace and comfort to hearts that are hurting today, Jesus, for so many different reasons. Lord, you're a God of peace. You're a God of comfort. So comfort those hearts in here today, Lord. And I just pray that as each woman sits here, as each woman leaves here, Lord, that they would just feel your presence. We love you so much, and we love these women in the room today, Lord. Bless them in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, babe. Can we give it up for my, my wife? <laughs> um, gosh, how do I follow, how do I follow that? You, now you probably get like, oh, how does like the exchange happen? I mean, right there. Um, it's incredible. Um, hey, Philippians chapter 4. If you would turn to Philippians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you one just so you can follow along with us. But Philippians chapter 4 is where we're at today. Um, we have a few more weeks left in the book of Philippians. You're like, what? But you're in chapter 4. I know. Um, but we have a few more weeks left in case you're wondering um, what we're going through next. Uh, as soon as the book of Philippians is over, we are starting a, a new series the book of Nehemiah. Um, we're calling it A Holy Ambition when a good desire meets a greater God. I'm very excited for this. I've kind of tried to stay away from the book of Nehemiah, but for us in 2019, we've kind of declared this as a church family. This is the year to build. Uh, We want to build our families. We want to build our faith. We want to build our community. We want to build our church. We think that doesn't just mean build like growth. That means just infrastructure. We want to build into our families. And so uh, we're going to go through Nehemiah because, again, this is, we see a holy ambition. We see a good desire to meet a greater God. And we see some incredible things happen. So we're starting Nehemiah in just a few weeks. So excited for that. But Philippians chapter 4. All right. Philippians 4. In case you're new, let me just review with you really quick. Uh, Here's what's going on. Paul wrote this. Paul who used to persecute Christians. Paul who hated Christians. He's now in prison for being a Christian. And Paul is writing this book to the church of Philippi. And he's saying, listen, this book primarily is all about joy. He's saying, even though I'm in prison, even though our brothers and sisters are literally at that moment in time being fed to the lions, He says to us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I mean, this book is so intense because Paul is living out uh, uh, what he's preaching. Paul is carrying this out. He's saying, even though I'm suffering, yet I will rejoice. And so we see kind of this theme throughout Philippians. And and Paul is telling them, hey, listen, you are different. Live as citizens of heaven. You, the, the church of Philippi, you might boast in the fact that technically you're citizens of Rome, but more importantly, you're citizens of heaven. So their goal at Philippi, how do we bring in Roman law, Roman culture, Roman government to our city? Paul is saying, no, no, seek to bring heavenly culture, heavenly law, heavenly government. First and foremost, you're not a citizen of Philippi. First and foremost, we're not, we're not American citizens. We are citizens of heaven. We're living for a greater kingdom. 
We're trying to build a greater kingdom. And so the point of, of the book of Philippians is saying, hey, how can we be an extension of heaven on earth? How can we extend God's love, God's grace, God's truth to our city? How do we do this? How do we carry this out? And so Paul's kind of showing them how to do this. Now, if you're with us last week, we looked at specifically two women in the church who are leaders who are, who are in fighting. In some way or capacity, there's division, there's a disagreement, and Paul calls them out by name, literally by, na- by name, and says, agree in the Lord. You have the greatest thing in common. You can agree in the Lord. Now today, this leads us to our text. He's saying there's division. I want you to rejoice. I want you to be reasonable, he literally says. And now he's saying, be anxious for nothing. In the midst of having division, in the midst of your brothers and sisters being fed to lions, in the midst of outside persecution, in the midst of me being in prison, be anxious for nothing. And I think this is a timely word for our church, for myself, hopefully for you guys. Uh, We want to specifically talk about anxiety and the gospel and the gospel just how anxiety affects us and shapes us. What does the Bible say about anxiety and worry? Um, As I even talk about this, maybe you're getting anxious a little bit. That's okay. Um, We just want to talk through this. We want to look at this a little more in depth. Proverbs 12 verse 25 says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Um, I, I think and my hope is that this can be a good word. I hope that those of you who have worry or anxiety, this can be something that it's just like water to a dry soul where God's spirit will speak and move in this place. I really do think that anxiety stems, like the anxiety, the, you can look at anxiety and say that kind of stems off into other issues into our life. Uh, a guy named John Piper who's writing about anxiety said this, and I had to share it before I even read the text just so you can kind of get what the feel is today. But he said this, he says, think about how many other sins are connected to the root sin of anxiety. Anxiety about money can cause you to hoard or steal. Anxiety about succeeding can make you irritable and impatient with those around you. Anxiety about relationships can make you withdrawn or indifferent toward other people. Anxiety about what others will think about you can make you lie or stretch the truth. If anxiety could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to many other sins. If, if anxiety, again, that last phrase, because I thought it was so good. If anxiety could be conquered, it would strike a mortal blow to many other sins. See, our hope is that as we deal with this topic of anxiety, that maybe there's other issues in our life God wants to address or bring up or focus on. And so, um, again, as we just go through any passage of the scripture, my, my hope is not just to have a time of information, of facts, of here's the, you know, cultural context, all that's important, all that matters. But our hope is that, Holy Spirit, what is it you want to do in our hearts today? How do I need to apply this? Like, how do I personally, how do we as a church family, how do you? How do we carry this out? I would love to see God free many of us, if not all of us, from just deep anxieties that kind of weigh on us and haunt us. Maybe you came in here, you just need to take a deep breath this morning. God's like, let me free you from some of that. Because not just worry, it's not just anxiety, it can lead to depression, it can lead to isolation, it can lead to some dangerous thoughts, it can lead to self-harm, it can lead to a lot. And so my hope is that as we talk about anxiety, and what the goal is, and what the outcome will be, that God would actually just do that. So let this not be another text we read, but literally Paul is saying, here is the outcome. If you apply what I'm saying, the peace of God will surpass all understanding. And so how do we pray for that outcome? How do we apply what he's telling us to do, but let's also pray for that outcome? Amen? So we're going to study two verses. I know that we're flying through Philippians. I know you love it. So Philippians chapter 4, we're in verse 6. Let's read these two verses today. Philippians 4 verse 6. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Say nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer 
and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Can we just read that one more time? Let's read that one more time. And this time you can read it with me and not be anxious. Let's read it. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray, and we'll look at this more in depth. Father, we just do ask that you would accomplish this verse in our lives right now. That your peace would surpass all understanding in this moment. God, on this day... (laughs) Jesus, we just ask that you'd speak and be glorified, and ultimately, um, anxiety, just worry, depression can be replaced with the good news of you, Jesus. That, God, we'd always bring you, always set the Lord, you, before us. So we ask that you'd be here, remove it in my life, remove it in all of our lives. Speak to us now in your name. Amen. You know, maybe you've noticed this, but it seems that anxiety and worry seem to have like a snowball effect if you know what I'm talking about. Like it starts off small, a little worry, a little thought, and then it just kind of grows and grows and snowballs into a bigger, bigger issue. For example, maybe this has happened to you. You're looking in the mirror. You're brushing your teeth. As you're looking in the mirror, you see something on your neck. You're like, what is that? Is that a lump? Oh, it's a lump. Is it can- I think it's cancerous. It's, ca- it's cancer. I have, three months, I have three months to live. I'm gonna, I'm gonna three, what am I going to do? How am I going to tell my wife? Like we, it's weird how fast we can kind of blow something up, you know, and then it, you just look again, you're like, oh, it's a zit. Okay, I'm not going to die. Like, it's weird. We do, we do blow this up. I do that. My mind takes something small and really does blow it up. As parents, parents, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Your kid might be misbehaving and might hit, and then that hit might turn into like a timeout, and then the, you're worried that the teacher's going to ask your kid to not come back to class and not come back to school and get kicked out of school and not get a job and be homeless, live on the streets and become a little terror and become a little terrorist. You're like, ah! Right? And sometimes the parent, you can kind of blow a small, like, you're just, I know what you're worried about. I know. Um, you can kind of see how small a situation can blow up. And, and we do see this, you guys. We need to talk about this. I think sometimes the issue is we don't always talk about our anxiety. Sometimes we disguise it and just say, you know, I'm just concerned. Like, this is just a concern. I'm just trying to prepare well. And we try to disguise it when in reality this is something I think that haunts all of us. And this is, this is serious. I mean, this is one of those things, this is one of those sermons where I go, how, how much do I share from what I've personally been anxious about? To what extent? <laughs> to how, how deep? Because anxiety does plague all, plague all of us. You know, for example, if you were here two weeks ago, you guys know what's happening with our church. Two weeks ago, I got a phone call from the school saying, hey, we're starting to do this last minute. Your last weekend at Quiet Waters is June 2nd. The school is going to be remodeled during the summer. You need a new location by June 9th, and hopefully you'll be back August 11th. And like right away, as I expressed, like, you know, your body wants to well up with anxiety going, great, I have five weeks for a new location. And it kind of begins to well up. And I really do believe the Lord intentionally had us in Philippians 4. Like literally getting a phone call, as I mentioned two weeks ago, talking about rejoice in the Lord always, and I have to like stop and like rejoice in the Lord. Literally talking about prayer and anxiety. Talking about what your mind is meditating on next week. Talking about being content in all things. I think God is funny. I think God's like really humorous. God's like, I know what you're going through. I'm going to make you live in Philippians 4 during this transition. It's like, okay, God, I get it. 
And uh, just a little update. I, hopefully by next Sunday, we will have an update for you guys about our location for those nine weeks. And it will be temporary. And we should hopefully be back August 11th. And we're hope before I share, like, here's what the options are. Just want to kind of land on that and share that with you guys next week. But it's one of those things where I've literally just had to read this text and do this. Literally apply this in the moment and go, God, I'm getting anxious. Let me stop right now. Let me stop in this moment and seek you. You know, I, I don't think it's ironic even that this text lands on Mother's Day. I, I wish I was that creative and be like, oh, I'm going to teach on anxiety. Because like, I, I know that this day can be a difficult day. I know that this day for many of us can be very hard. Maybe you're not with your kids or maybe you're not with your mom. You know, this has been 11 years now of my wife and I living here and 11 Mother's Days in a row we've missed. You know, they're probably watching online, both of our moms, I'm sure they are. They're the only ones who comment on Facebook. Like, good, good job. Anyway, sorry. Hey, <laughs> it's mom, it's Mother's Day. Um, but it's funny how, like, it's, it's difficult. It's not funny, but it is difficult. I mean, there's a reality where this is a beautiful day. It's a fun day. We get to, you know, but this is also an incredibly difficult day. Maybe any, and it's weird how all holidays become anxious for us. Any sort of holiday now, it's like, is it really a holiday? Almost seems like any day we celebrate something, there's always something painful we remember. And so this might be an anxious day for some of you. And I really do think that the Holy Spirit, I think that the Lord has us in this text for a reason. I think God is trying to speak to us. Guys, there are physical implications of anxiety and worry that we know about. It can be small, like you get canker sores, it can lead to like ulcers. Anxiety and worry can lead to heart disease, heart attacks, some say certain cancers. I mean, it can lead to so many physical issues. The ADAA said this about anxiety. Uh, we'll put the quote up. It says, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States, age 18 and older, or 18.1% of the population every year. Basically, 20% of our population is affected by anxiety or worry in some capacity. That basically, we as a country spend about $42 billion a year to address and deal with anxiety. That people who are more prone to being anxious are more likely to go to the doctor, I think three to five times more likely to go to the doctor for other issues that they're six times more likely to go uh, be into some sort of mental institute or facility. I mean, this does plague and shape many of us. And so we don't want to downplay it. And, and there is also another side of anxiety. That, and if you really do think about it, we do worry all the time about things that will never happen. I mean, if you think about things that we get anxious about that will never come to pass. I like the Winston Churchill quote. He said, he said this, when I look back on all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which had never happened. <laughs> I just I feel like Winston always had a great way of putting it. You know, he goes, there's so many things we worry about that never come to pass. So it's funny, literally yesterday, I'm thinking about that thought. And I text my wife and I go, hey, can you help me think of a list of things that we worry about that never come to pass? That was my question. She texts me back this. We'll put it up here. It says, house punch list, backyard, front yard, holes in the kitchen ceiling, paint around kitchen air vent, bathroom ceiling upstairs, front window, touch-up paint, office ceiling, touch-up, office wall, touch-up paint, toilet seats, towel holder, bathroom, shower, cock clean. I can't even say that. Remove cable from the air vent. Replace smoke detectors. I'm like, <laughs> I asked her, what are some things we worry about that will never happen? And she sends me my to-do list. And I'm like, no, not my to-do list. Not things that need to happen around the house. Like that needs to happen. She's like, oh, I misunderstood. I got anxious about a question trying to fight anxiety. This is something that's just so common, right? It, it does plague all of us to some capacity. And, and honestly, it, it was the funniest thing to me. Uh, honestly, we, we could try to look at and say, what, what causes anxiety? Text messages like this. Uh, but let's, let's be honest. Uh, if we talk about this, it's cell phones. Just maybe constant noise, family situations and dynamics. Uh, maybe it's finances. 
It's just that that's constantly plaguing you. Maybe you're stressed out because you can't have kids and want to have kids. Maybe you're stressed out because you have kids. Maybe you're like, there's so many reasons, honestly, we get anxious for. And we literally create things and it snowballs and develops and develops and develops. And here's what Paul says, be anxious for nothing. And I don't think Paul is just like this naive guy who's like, hey, it's pretty easy. I think he knows how difficult it is, but I think he also knows how to apply it and live it out. So for example, Paul is in prison. So let's just talk about this. Here's what I want to talk about specifically when it comes to anxiety in the gospel. Here's the three points today. Literally, we're just using the verses. Paul's going to show us the goal. Paul's going to show us the how. Paul's going to show us the outcome. The goal, the how, the outcome. The goal, be anxious for nothing. The how, talks about prayer. Let our quest be known to God. We'll look at that, the how. And then the outcome, what will that look like? What will the peace of God look like and how he says it surpasses understanding? So let's talk about the goal, the how, the outcome. The goal of anxiety, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, that first phrase, look at down again, verse 6, verse A, 6A, whatever. He says, be anxious for nothing. This is the goal. Be anxious for nothing. <laughs> and I read this, but I go, but Paul, I'm anxious for everything. <laughs> how can I not be anxious? And he says, be anxious for nothing. Couple of interesting thoughts. This is a command. The way this is written is like an imperative. He's saying, be anxious for nothing. I'm commanding you to, to be anxious for nothing. I'm commanding you by the power of God through the Holy Spirit who's writing this, be anxious for nothing. This is not a suggestion. This is not just some cool idea. He's actually saying, if he's saying be anxious for nothing, he's saying we have the power to be anxious for nothing. And not we, but we'll look at that. But he's saying you, you can be anxious for nothing. He wouldn't command us to do something we cannot do. That is the idea. So here's something I do want to, you know, there is a difference between anxiety, you could say, and a constructive concern, but some of you might take that constructive concern and like turn it into anxiety. Usually it's, it's here's what worry is, a simple definition of, of worry is care gone wrong. Worry is care gone wrong. You have a, a, a legitimate care, but it becomes poisoned. It becomes too much. It grows. It speculates. It becomes paranoid. It's care gone wrong. And so here's what he's really describing to us is sometimes you actually might need to go to the doctor and that's a constructive concern. Hey, maybe you don't have a job and you should probably go get a job. Like there's a side of it, not, not to worry or get anxious about it, but there might be a constructive concern you need to do something with. But Paul is saying simply be anxious for nothing. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up. Um, Jesus tells us the same thing over and over again. We're going to read the text later in Matthew 6. But Jesus four different times says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Paul's basically repeating what Jesus is saying. Do not worry. You know, a fun fact I've maybe shared before months ago, but a fun fact is the number one command in the entire Bible is these two words, fear not. Fear not. It's the number one command. If you read Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, there's 613 commandments, a lot of commandments there. But the number one command from Genesis to Revelation is don't fear, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. And usually God says, fear not, for I'm with you. But the number one command is fear not. And there's actually, I believe it's 365 times it says fear not, like one for every day. Fear not today, fear not tomorrow, fear not. And there's something about that. You know, here's what I want to point out. Um, God would not, like I said, he would not say this unless we had the power to fear not. So for example, let's just say we're hanging out one day and we're like, let's go to dinner. And we're driving the car and you go, oh man, I don't have my wallet on me. And I'm like, yo, don't worry about it. We get to dinner, we're eating dinner, the check comes and you're like, hey, you said not, don't worry about it. I'm like, yeah. I just wanted to have like a tranquil, nice dinner. You go, go, go to the back and like work dishes, right? Like, no, like that'd be messed up. No one's going to say like, don't worry about it. Fear not. Like if I say that, if someone said that to you, it's like, cause I'm covering the check for you. I got it. Here's, here's the thing. Jesus says that over and over again. Don't worry. Don't worry. And he'll even tell us how. He'll even tell us why. We'll look at that in just a moment. 
But this is something where God is saying this, he commands this, because he, he knows that we can live that out. So here's an, a, just a simple definition of anxiety. Anxiety is anticipating the future in the worst possible scenario and freaking out about it. That's like my definition. All right. It's anticipating the future, and it's almost like you're a false prophet to yourself. Like you're a prophet. It's like the world's gonna end. Like I'm gonna like, and you kind of have this fear of this moment, and you're like a you're just a negative voice in your own life, right? Another way uh, one author defined anxiety was this: anxiety seems to be an intense desire for something accompanied by a fear of the consequences of not receiving it. Again, anxiety seems to be an intense desire for something accompanied by a fear of the consequence of not receiving it. I think that anxiety, the simple definition even in the Bible, literally means, the Greek word means to be pulled apart. Anxiety, think about that, means to be pulled apart, to pulled into many pieces. So for example, this word is used and applied really well in Luke chapter 10. You guys remember the story in Luke 10? There's Mary, there's Martha, there's one serving Jesus. Jesus is speaking, he's teaching. You have Martha who's very busy working and getting the house ready, whatever she's doing. And you have Mary, it says, who's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And if you remember, Mary and Martha are sisters. Martha gets mad at her sister Mary. Maybe this is like you, you know this, but you're like working really hard. Someone's doing nothing. And she goes, Jesus, tell my sister to help me and get to work. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 41. He said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. That word worry is merimna, to be pulled apart. He goes, you are pulled apart about many things. You're divided about many things. Your mind is not singly minded or focused. It's pulled apart by many. He literally says after this verse, she has chosen the one thing, the better thing. Mary chose the one thing, the better thing to sit at the feet of Jesus, to take in, to enjoy, to learn, to grow. You have Mary who just let me just take in, soak it all in, while Martha's like, let me just serve, serve, serve. And she was divided heart, divided mind. And, and here's what anxiety will do. Anxiety will have your mind hovering over 300 different issues at once. And you're thinking, you're, you're getting divided, and you're getting pulled in many directions. And God is saying, think about the one thing, the greater thing. And that is learning, enjoying, sitting with me. Here's the thing. Paul says, here is the goal of anxiety. Be anxious for nothing. I think we'd agree. The goal would be like, I just don't want to be anxious for nothing. I want to be anxious for nothing. That's the goal. Now let's talk about number two, the how. Because Paul's going to say, here's how. Here's how you be anxious for nothing. And I really do think this is, this is now the time for you and I to hear this. And it's, it's like, it won't happen if we, apply, if we don't apply it. So let's look at the how. Verse six, again, be anxious for nothing. Verse six, what does he say? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let's talk through that. And I, I know you might sound this like it's so simple, but he's saying the antidote to anxiety and worry is prayer. Here's the how pray. Now, he doesn't just say pray in this general term. He actually gets specific. So he says, first of all, about everything. Pray about everything. So write this down. If you are taking notes, remember this. Write this down. First thought when it comes to prayer is this. Pray continually. Pray continually. But in everything, prayer, he says. Pray continually. The Bible says pray without ceasing. He's like constantly, when you have that fear and anxiety, stop in that moment and pray. Pray continually. I love how D.A. Carson said it. He says, I have yet to meet a chronic warrior who enjoys an excellent prayer life. So agree. I have yet to meet someone who's constantly anxious. It's like, wow, you're like a spiritual prayer giant. It's like, I am. They're con like, you know. There's a side of it where like that your prayer life can be a good indicator of, of your anxiety level. 
He says, pray continually. Next, he says this, pray specifically. Pray specifically. He says, with supplication. Maybe you've quoted this verse to like your kids or your friend. You're like, everything prayer with supplication. You have no idea what supplication means. It just means specific prayers. And I love that. He goes, not just pray continually, but make specific prayers to God. I think I can and we can be guilty of general prayers. We go, like, God, thank you for this day. Bless this day. Like, we're just so general, always. And he's saying, no, get specific. So here, one way, I think, to look at this is um, look at your, if you want to try this exercise, try this in your journal, write down, here's what I'm worried about. Write those things down, and that's your prayer journal now. <laughs> the idea is write out those worries, write out those concerns, write out those anxieties, and you go, oh, I just have my prayer list. Pray specifically. He's saying, make it those specific prayers, that thing that, you, that is on your heart, that thing that is haunting you. It's interesting how the Bible is actually kind of paralleling how similar prayer and anxiety are. They're so similar. Think about this. When it comes to anxiety, you're just chewing it over and over and over. Same thing in prayer. You're chewing it over, though. You're talking about with God. Prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. Prayer is where you say, God, this is on my heart. Help me. And you just be quiet. And you be still. There's a side of prayer. I think we can make it more of a dialogue than a monologue. Like, let me just rush through my prayer. Like, let me just, let me just kind of throw this to God and be still for a little bit. And there's a side of this where your prayer, your concerns become your prayer list now. A supplication can also just be described as simply help me prayers. If we're going to read Nehemiah um, in a few weeks, we're going to go through it, and you're going to see in Nehemiah, we all say the word like Nehemiah prayers. It's because he's like, Lord, help me now. Like, that's a Nehemiah prayer. He literally goes, God, give me strength. That's it. Sometimes that's what all you need. Sometimes you need that supplication, that specific prayer. And this is what he's describing. And this is what he's mentioning. So he says, pray specifically. And I think here is the kryptonite. If this is the antidote, here's the kryptonite. Pray thankfully. Pray thankfully. This is so interesting. Can we just look at that phrase again? Because uh, it's very important how he says it. And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray thankfully. Now, some of you hear this and go, why would I thank God for something he hasn't done yet? Like, I'm not thanking him until he does it. Like, no, that is not the heart. That's not the mindset to have. Here's what pray thankfully means. Pray thankfully means this. As you're bringing your request to God, you're saying, God, ultimately, I'm trusting you with the outcome, and I'm thanking you for the outcome. God, I know that you are sovereign and wise enough, that your faithfulness, that even, God, the world might be bad, even if people are out to give, even if, and you read the Psalms, like, everything's against me, God, I'm, I'm literally going to have a spirit of praise and thankfulness because you're for me. Because, God, if... If the world is against me, but you're for me, what can stop me? It's just this mindset of, God, you're so in control, I'm not going to have this concern. It's bizarre doing this. As we've been praying for this school in our location, and anxiety wells up, and I've literally kind of had to come to my prayer life. It's funny, I talk about the snowball effect of worry. In my prayer, the snowball effect has kind of turned into, God, even if we're outside in the heat in July in a tent, thank you. <laughs> like, and you're, some of you are like, no, not thank you. I don't know. I don't think that's the option. Don't worry. I, I don't think that's the option. But you're really kind of playing through all the scenarios in your heart and your mind, and you're saying, even if we get to this conclusion, I'm going to thank you, God, because you're still good. It's Job. Lord, you give, you take away. Blessed be your name. It, it's just the spirit that you understand who really God is. Can I just say this? It's not, I, I, one author wrote it this way, and I thought it was so good. He said, we got to stop thinking about how God knows the future and be aware that God is in the future. Because sometimes we're like, well, God knows, God knows, <laughs> but it's like God's there. He doesn't just know that he's there. There's something that God is just so infinitely beyond us to our limited, finite minds. We've got to understand that God is so much greater. 
I, I do think that this is something that's so freeing. It is, it is essentially, and it's a verse maybe overquoted, and we don't, this is something that's so necessary, though. It is Romans 28, Romans 8, 28. For we know that God works all things together for good to those who love him and to those who are called in according to his purpose. It's almost like this is your frame of reference as you pray, thankfully. God, I know that whatever the outcome is, you're good. I know whatever the outcome is, you're going to work it according to your purpose. We love you. We've been called by you. I know you're going to work this out. So like I mentioned, the hot tent outside thing, God, we know that maybe there's some of the park and he's get saved that. Whatever it is, God, because you know what worry does? We play with all the scenarios and then this could happen and then I could lose this and then I'll lose that. We play it out, but prayer is in a thankful way and then this could happen and God will show up and then this could happen and God could show up. It's like a different form of, it's worry with a spirit of thankfulness that you're submitting to God and saying, God, this is not for me to worry about. This is yours. Martin Luther talked about like giving our, just letting, let God worry for it. Let, let, let God be the one who worries about it. Give it to him through prayer. Now, with that, he says this phrase, let your requests be made known to God. So this takes me to Matthew 6, because it would be like wrong of me, I feel like, to teach on anxiety and worry and not say, here's what Jesus teaches when it comes to anxiety and worry. So let's turn to Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 25. We're going to have to turn there, read that. Turn in your Bible, this is so great. Matthew chapter 6. Can you exaggerate the page turning so I just know you're like, turn, yes. Sounds so good. All right, Matthew 6. Again, Paul says, let your request be made known to God. Here's what Jesus says about worry. Matthew 6, verse 25. Look at verse 25. We're just going to read this verse by verse slowly, what Jesus says about worry. Look at this, verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, listen, do not worry. Let's read that again. Therefore, I say to you, say with me, do not worry about your life, (laughs) what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. For some of us, we're like, that's a tough question, Jesus. More than food, more than clothing. I'm on the food side. Maybe you're on the clothing side. That's a tough. Jesus is saying, listen, don't worry about it. Life, here's the first thought. Life is more than necessities. Life is more than than you might think of your basic needs. It's more than that. Um, there's a side of this where Jesus is going to get descriptive in a second, what that looks like and means. But here's what he's ultimately saying. What you worry about reveals what you care and love. Do not worry about your life. Why? If you're worried about your life, you love your life. He's like, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about those those things. He's going to say that your father knows them. He he, he sees them. But he's basically saying what you worry about reveals what you care about. Here's what's interesting to me. Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, I believe, says, what comes upon me is my deep concern for all the churches. That word concern is anxiety. Paul literally says, my deep anxieties are are you guys. Like, I care for you. I want to see you walking. Well, I want to see you. Paul's like, I so care for you. That's what gives me worry. It's not me in prison, not me being beaten, not me being shipwrecked. My deep anxiety and concern is for, for you. Maybe you know what this is like as a parent. Hopefully just as a fellow Christian, you know what this is like. I, I, when someone comes to me, he's like, Josiah, I met this guy. He's great. Like, awesome. I'm so glad. Like, yeah, he's a wicked. I'm like, oh my gosh, no. Like, there's sometimes for me, I can know what Paul means by this. When someone comes to you with, like, exciting news and it's just a terrible for them spiritually, like, oh my gosh, please don't entertain that idea ever. Um, there, there's something with Paul saying, I, I care more for things of God than, than for, for me, for my life. He, Jesus says, life is more than food. It's more than clothing. It's more than these things. See, and then Jesus gives really specific. Let's look at verse 26. He says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit or 18 inches to his stature? Um, I love how Jesus says, don't worry, look at the birds. You would never find anywhere, like any article, like, want to know how not to worry? 
study birds. Only Jesus can do this. Martin Luther literally said, he goes, my favorite preachers in the world are the birds. He goes, whenever I see the birds chirping, it constantly reminds me of God's provision, of God's goodness, of God's grace. You, you don't want to worry? Look at the birds. If you're worrying, think about how God takes care of them. It's funny, just I think about how in California where I grew up, our birds were super aggressive for some reason. Like very aggressive. If I'm eating my meal, they'd be like in the meal with me. I remember like at the beach, I was eating. I looked away for a second. I saw a seagull flying with my six-inch sub. It's like flying down the beach. I'm like, oh, cool. God takes care of the birds in the air. That's great. And it's very true. And, and, and here's, here's why I'm sharing this. The argument is this, the lesser to the greater. The argument is, look at the birds, the lesser to the greater. If he takes care of the lesser, he's not going to take care of the greater. There's a side where, where, where Jesus is trying to remind us, why do we get so caught up in things that we, we forget? We, what does this say about God? When we worry, what are we saying about God? When I worry, what am I saying about God? I'm saying, if I'm getting anxious, I say, God doesn't love me, God doesn't care, God doesn't take notice, is God even there? If my wife was constantly coming up to me and just like, how are we going to pay our bills, how are we going to do this, I don't know if we can do that, I'd be like, do you trust me? As a, like, do you, you know, I'm like giving everything I got. Like, there's a side of this when we worry towards God, it's like, do you trust me? Do you know, do you know I, I'm with you? I love you. I care for you. I love how Jesus asked this question. <laughs> this goes, can any of you by worrying like, grow? You know, some of, some of you are like, yeah, like I'm 5'6", I want to be 5'9". Like, you know, he's going, no, it's not going to, it's not going to help. It doesn't benefit. Worry benefits no one in any way. It's been put in so many different ways, but worry is like a, worry is like a rocking chair where you're moving, there's momentum, but you're going nowhere, right? Like you can worry, this just does nothing. It adds no value whatsoever. Jesus keeps going on with this thought in verse uh, 28. He says, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That phrase of little faith, always it kind of stings when I read it and hear that. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about that. He goes, little faith will get you to heaven. Good news. But great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Little faith will get you to heaven. Oh, you have little faith. Like little faith, the faith the size of mustard seed. Little faith will get you to heaven. But he says, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. We're worried maybe because it's like we need great faith. Our faith is in something else or someone else. And he's saying, you're placing it in the wrong thing. You're placing it in the wrong object. Keep going, verse 32, 31. Therefore, again, he says, do not worry, over and over, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient is the day. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. So true. Jesus is simply saying again, don't worry. You're worried because you're seeking first things that are not the kingdom. So here's what I want to keep in mind. How do we not worry? Paul saying pray. Jesus saying seek first the things that matter. How do you not worry? You're worried because you're worried about some report, finances, some physical thing, ailment, sickness. You're worried because your mind is not set on the kingdom. Your mind is set on your kingdom. Worry floods our heart when we're set on our kingdom, not God's kingdom. That is so true for me. The things I'm worried about are usually my kingdom things, not God's kingdom things. You see, I would love to see Christians almost like worried for the right things going, oh my gosh, 
we need our city to get saved. We need people to grow in faith. Like, we need to see health in marriages. We need to see kids who love Jesus grow. Like, I would love for us to see us be, like, almost in a sense worried about those things, like kingdom things. But usually we're not deeply concerned with those things. Like, oh, yeah, that'd be great if that happens. But see, we're worried about our kingdom, and Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. I really do believe the key is in, so what's, how do I solve this issue of worry in my life? Seek first the kingdom. How does my marriage get healthy? Seek first the kingdom. My finances seem to be, seek first the kingdom. It's like, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Put the first thing, the primary thing, the main thing, the thing that God says matters the most, and again, that promise attached to it of all these other things shall be added unto you. But usually we, we seek first all those other things added unto us. That's what we're seeking. And Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom of God. Those other things, you'll begin to see that they don't, they don't really matter to you in the long run. It's 1 Timothy 6. Naked I came into this world, and naked I'll leave. It's like, at the end of the day, I want to I leave a, a fingerprint or a legacy that's about eternal things, things that matter in that way. Seek first the kingdom. See, why do we worry? We're seeking usually first our kingdom. And so Paul's saying, pray, pray specifically, pray thankfully, whatever the outcome may be, saying, God, you're good, you're wise, you're in control. Can I tell you one, thought, one more thought with this? This is what David did to himself. This is what David did for himself. David in Psalm 42 basically goes, soul, why are you cast down? I love how David talked to his soul. He's like, soul, why are you sad? Soul, I can feel that you're sad right now. I, I do this sometimes, like internally, like my soul feels sad today, <laughs> you know? And it's like, why are you cast down, oh my soul? And then he says this, he goes, hope in God. He's talking to himself. He's talking to his soul. Why is it so important? Listen, my heart is constantly saying things to me. Your heart is constantly saying things to you. Either you're talking to your heart or your heart is talking to you. Either your heart is saying, God's not going to provide. God's not going to care. God doesn't see your need. Other people don't care. Other Christians don't care. Why are you even trying? Why are you even doing that? Either your heart's talking to you or you're talking to your heart saying, God is good. God is faithful. God has never let me down. God is so much bigger than this. Either you're talking to your soul or your soul's talking to you. I don't trust me. I don't trust my soul. <laughs> I need to preach the gospel. When we say preach the gospel to yourself, that is what we literally do. At night when I lay in bed and have worries, concerns, I, I literally have to go, God, remind me of who you are right now. Oh yeah, you're compassionate and merciful and long-suffering and patient towards the sinner. And, and I have to remind myself of who God is. And this is what he's saying, hope in God. Pray specifically, pray thankfully. Don't seek first your kingdom. Jesus four times, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. God sees your need. He meets the bird's needs. How much more will he take care of yours? Do not worry. If you're worried, it's usually not for a kingdom thing. It's for your kingdom thing. And so this is how, this, you say, this is the how to not worry. He goes, all thing, everything, prayer, supplication with thanksgiving. Now, what is the outcome? Let's look back at Philippians 4, verse 7. Here's the outcome. The goal is be anxious for nothing. We talked about the how. What will the outcome look like in our lives? Verse 7, he says, here's the outcome. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you apply this and do this, the peace of God will surpass your understanding. It will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So let's break this down. Let's, let's talk about this. He says it will guard your hearts and minds. That word guard is this military term. It literally means to send out the army and like surround the city. He's like, God's going to send out the army and surround the city of your heart. God's going to guard your heart and your mind. My heart is maybe that emotional side of me primarily, my mind being the mental side of me, how I think, which we'll talk about next week. And he's saying, listen, if you pray in this way, God's going to send an army to guard your heart and your mind. What does Proverbs 4.23 say? Proverbs 4.23 says this. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. He's saying, as you pray, God will keep your heart. 
as you pray specifically and thankfully, watch the peace of God surround and guard your heart and your mind. It's going to be a byproduct of this. This will be the outcome of this. You know, here's something we do got to get. Notice how he says, and we're going to look at this phrase again next week in a different way. He says, the peace of God. Look at the peace of God. Look down at verse 7. The peace of God. Peace of God. Next week, he's going to say, the God of peace. (laughs) And I love what Paul's doing. But he says, the peace of God. Now, here's the point I'm trying to bring up really quick. You and I will never have the peace of God until you and I are at peace with God. If we want the peace of God, I need to be at peace with God. So often people want the peace of God. I want peace in my life, but first it's like the question is, but are you at peace with God? Because think about that. We're all seeking peace. If you talk to any Jewish person who maybe doesn't believe in Jesus on the side, they go, where's peace? Where's shalom? It's a great question. Where's shalom? And I would say, first and foremost, you need to be at peace with God. See, Romans 5.1 says it this way. Romans 5.1, Paul writes, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're justified by faith, and now you're at peace with God. So you and I can never have the peace of God until we're at peace with God. I think some of us are seeking the peace of God, and I would say this, first, be at peace with God. Some of you are maybe still dead in your trespasses and sins, the Bible would put it. Maybe you're not at peace with God. Maybe you need to understand who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you and accept the free gifts of salvation found in Jesus and trust him and look at him as your only hope. Be at peace with God through Jesus. And once you're at peace with God, then we can have the peace of God. But so often we, we want the peace of God first. Where's the peace of God? It's like, well, first be at peace with God. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, and the peace of God, it's gonna, it's gonna guard your heart. It's gonna guard your mind. It's gonna guard the way you think. And here's the phrase that does kind of overwhelm all of us, I think, or people try to emphasize when we, we use this verse, or maybe people misquote this verse. But this is the phrase to me that just stands out. He goes, it will surpass your understanding. You're gonna have the peace. Of, it doesn't make sense how you have peace in that moment. You've been around this. I've been around this. Maybe you've experienced this. I've experienced this. Where you go, I have no idea right now how I have peace. Literally, it makes no sense. I have no understanding, and it surpassed understanding. How that person experiences peace right now surpasses all understanding. We've walked through some pretty difficult moments and seasons in people's life, and I've seen the peace of God, and I, I have seen sometimes the lack of the peace of God. And it's unbelievable when you see someone have the peace of God in a circumstance, you go, how do you have the peace of God? And they're like, I don't know. And it, it just does surpass understanding. Here's probably the greatest example I feel like um, and you can read or share. I'll share one story. The guy's name was Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was an American lawyer who in 1871, the great fire of Chicago that kind of like destroyed the city, uh, he lost everything. Lawyer, wealthy guy, his wife and four daughters. He basically lost every worldly possession and good. If you guys know this story, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But uh, again, his name is Horatio Spafford. Basically, a couple years later, he sends his wife and daughters over to England on a trip. During that trip, while he's in America, they're on the way to England. Their boat crashes into another boat. We're told during the story that his wife gathered the daughters together on the boat as it's going down. They prayed. The boat goes down. His four daughters died. His wife is unconscious. A boat comes and takes his wife and she basically telegraphs him back home. And I think she wrote only, because telegraph, she writes, um, alone saved. Like, I'm the only one alive. And so he knows something happens. He goes over to uh, England. And this is where he writes the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And this is where he writes, Got Peace Like a River. And here's what's interesting. Not just It Is Well With My Soul, a song that maybe we know, maybe we don't know. You can look it up. But there's a, f- there's a phrase, uh, I don't know the right <laughs> terminology, but there's a phrase in It Is Well With My Soul where he writes this. 
He says, my sin on the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. What does that have to do with his four daughters dying? Everything. You see, he has this peace like a river because he's going, the most necessary thing in my life has been paid for. My sin has been paid for on the crosses. It's gone, no more. I'm gonna praise the Lord. I have, I have what I need the most with God and that is be, to be reconciled with God. Does that take away from the pain of losing his daughter? There's still gonna be the pain. Are we allowed to mourn? Absolutely. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. There's a side of this where I'm not trying to downplay the pain of this. I'm not trying to downplay how terrible or how painful this might be for someone or anyone. But he's literally writing, I have peace like a river. Why? How does he have peace like a river? Because he goes, my sin's been paid for. I have peace like a river because I'm right with God. I have peace like a river because God forgave me and justified me. And I have peace like a river through that. Because here's the point. Everything can be stripped away from our lives. Everything. But the one constant as we keep trying to go back to is just, I'm trying to share weekly in Philippians 4, the one constant is Jesus and Jesus alone. Though everything's stripped away, though everything's take, taken away, rejoice in the Lord, be anxious for nothing. Though I lose everything, I still have the most important thing. I still have, I, I have a right relationship with God because of Jesus Christ and the cross and what he's done for me. And he's saying, this is how my soul is, is well because I'm hoping in something so much greater. It's David who loses his son, his infant son, and he says, he's not gonna come to me, I'm gonna go to him. He has this greater picture in mind of going, you know what, though? I'll be reconciled. I'll, I'll, I'll see them again one day. But only because of the cross. Only because his daughters believed in Jesus and I believe in Jesus. He said, only because of the cross, it is well with my soul. If it wasn't for the cross, it would not be well with my soul. The cross is why my soul, you could say, is well. So though these outward things change in our lives, you say, but the cross, but Jesus, the one constant, the peace that surpasses all understanding can only be rooted in the cross. It's the only way it makes sense. If I quote this verse to someone who does not believe in Jesus or believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, it, it won't happen. But the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. not know. Because then you'd be at peace with God. Because that's rooted in the finished work of the cross. That's how we can say it as well with my soul. And this is what we're trying to get at is ultimately anxiety needs to be replaced with the gospel. Ultimately, this bad news we preach to ourselves needs to be replaced with the good news we need to start preaching to ourselves. He's saying, preach the good news to yourself. Preach the cross. Preach Christ. Focus on the one constantly unchanging person, infinite God, who's merciful and loving and gracious. And because of the result of sin, he's seeking to redeem and make all things new. Remember this. Seek this first. Seek first his kingdom. Because there will be moments, this verse will not just be a, a cute little verse you heard a sermon on or read a, a, on a card one day. You'll literally have to live out this verse and say, God, I'm anxious for everything right now. Let me pray with specifics. Let me pray with thanksgiving. And God, I just ask that your peace would flood my heart as I rest in you, Jesus. Amen? And hopefully, hopefully that's something everyone here can experience is just peace with God be at peace with God first and foremost. Listen, we just want to end our time by thanking, by praising. We're going to ask, as we close in worship, I'm going to ask that you guys just pray and thank God for those scenarios in your life. So let's just spend some time in prayer, even as we sing. Say, God, thank you. Let's spend some time thanking and praising God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just, um, we thank you so much for the truth of your word, <laughs> that this is not just a Bible study, but it's true that your Holy Spirit as we obey you and pray specifically and continually and thankfully, and as we seek first your kingdom, God, that your peace will surpass all understanding. 
And God, I ask for a day like today, like Mother's Day, where this I know is a beautiful day, but also a painful day. I just ask for that peace in this moment. That Jesus, it would surpass all understanding that all the anxieties in this room, they will come back up even as soon as we say amen and leave. But Lord, we ask that we'd go to you with supplication, with specific prayers. That God, we would not forget what we've heard and that, that your peace would just flood our hearts. God, bless the people in this room. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, do what it is you want to do in our lives. In your wonderful name, amen. Let's stand and just close our time with some worship.